Welcome to the bookshelf and the third and concluding night of presentation of the storytelling that took place from Pivot Spokane on June 17th. Tonight we will hear from Kiantha Duncan and Darian Mack. Let's go down to the stage and host Jessica Watson. Our next storyteller is going to tell us a story about um, how she dealt with the pandemic in a, in a position of leadership. She's the president of the NAACP. Please welcome to the stage, Kiantha Duncan. Hi, everybody. So, I've never been to Cuba, don't have running shoes, nothing much to see. But I happened to be here in 2020. And 2020, I say it like that, 2020 almost took me out. I'm talking about out. Everything that could go wrong in 2020, it went wrong. I think we might have even had locusts, but I don't remember. <laughs> but what I remember happening in 2020 was this constant just barrage of negative imagery. People were getting sick. People that I knew were getting sick. People that I saw on television were getting sick. People around the world were getting sick. And in those moments, I felt as if there was nothing that I could do. I didn't have anything else to give. Now, I don't know if this was before the locusts or after, but somehow I had accepted an appointment to be the president of the NAACP. And I don't know if you all remember, but there was this whole George Floyd thing that happened and, you know, this insurrection. There was all these things, right? And so as I am making my way through the year, I am just really overwhelmed with everything that's happening. So the night of January, or I'm sorry, December 31st happened. And on December 31st, I was sitting in my living room, well, in my dining room area, and I had a glass of wine, champagne actually. This was before the locusts. So I had champagne, and I am waiting there like I felt so many people must have been around the world waiting for the clock to go from 11 58 to 11.59 to midnight, because that would mean that it's a new year and something amazing can happen and things won't be so sad, people won't be so sick, there won't be so much suffering. And I don't know if you saw the same thing that I saw, but right after 11.59 and then 12 o'clock happened, everything was the same. People were still sick. There was still suffering. There was still pain all around the world, all around our city, the United States. There was still pain and I didn't know what to do. So I became overwhelmed. Now I'm a person that has suffered from depression since I was five, five. The depression that I felt during that time 
was depression's depression, whatever that is, however deep that is, before the locust. And so I am like just literally drowning in all that is happening. And I decided that I wanted to give up. Now I wasn't sure what give up looked like because I couldn't just get in my car and drive somewhere. I had people depending on me. I couldn't just not answer my phone. There were people going to be calling because again, I had accepted this role in leadership with the NAACP. And so I decided that somehow I would just keep going. I would just figure out how to keep going. And then the pandemic hit home. Six people in my family, six, the, the one, the six that's after the five, but before the seven, six people passed away in one family, in one family over the course of about eight days. That took me over the edge, of course. I'm pretty sure the locust was then. But I remember feeling like, how is this possible? How can death hit one family so much? How can it be this much suffering? I was already drowning, I already couldn't breathe, and now this. And the sixth person of the people to pass away was my mother-in-law, Dorothy Jackson. Now I wanna tell you guys about Dorothy Jackson. She went to church on Sunday she went to church probably on Wednesday to Bible study. She went and probably cleaned the church on Saturday. I mean, she was a church-going woman. Everything she said, every sentence ended with, God bless you. She was that lady. And so when she had gone into the hospital, she initially went in to urgent care. And she wasn't feeling particularly sick other than feeling lethargic and not having a lot of energy but no breathing issues, none of the stuff that we were seeing on every channel, everywhere in the world. She just was tired. She goes into urgent care. They diagnose her with being COVID positive, but not sick enough to stay in the hospital, so you get to go home. Later that night, she ended up in the hospital, being intubated, and a few days later, she was dead. Now, this didn't make sense to me, because I'm thinking, I just told you this lady said, God bless you to everybody. How could this happen to her? How could the pandemic touch her? Like, why her? And then I realized, if I looked at the situation through Dorothy's eyes, her entire life being so committed to her religious beliefs and her faith, she was probably excited to go and meet the God that she wanted to see all of that time. And that is what allowed me to continue to move forward post her death. So now it's the new year. I get through burying, going down to Florida, Gordon Chapel, Florida, this very small town. We take care of the funeral and come back. And now it is the inauguration. Now, I told you right before the locusts had come, I had agreed to be the president of the NAACP. So when the inauguration happened, 
And then the insurrection happened, and then the George Floyd trial happened, and then the Chauvin trial. I mean, just all of the stuff. Riots, protest, no one felt safe. We were, as people of color, particularly afraid during that time. I said, okay, th th this is really it. No more, no, no, no more, no more things. I can't take any more things. And then one day, I looked in the mirror, and this literally happened. I looked in the mirror and I thought, if I am feeling the weight of the world, imagine what people feel who look to me for leadership. What must they be feeling? And when I thought about what they could be feeling and I considered how they may be feeling. I knew that I didn't have the opportunity or option to give up. I didn't have any choice but to make it work. There was no other option. When you make a commitment in leadership to lead people with beating hearts and feelings and emotions and experiences, you can't just give up on them, even when it's tough even when your own world is closing in on you, even when there is locusts, even when people are dying, even when you cannot rest, you must still lead. You must still lead. And all of us here, we made it. It's 2021. Now this shit's still bad. <laughs> And there may be locusts right back there, but we made it to here. And we got this. We got this. All of us, every single one of you, every single one of you in the back. We got this. And we will continue to have this because there is no other option. Thank you. From Pivot Spokane, we've been hearing Kianta Duncan, also the leader of Spokane's NAACP. Now for our final storyteller of the night, we go to the gentleman who has many different functions. He's a filmmaker, and he has served as the DJ for tonight's presentation, bringing a lot of music before, during, and after the performance, and providing the music behind the intros. So that is Darian Mack, and so once again, let's go to the stage and the host, Jessica Watson. We have one last storyteller tonight. He's been our DJ this entire time. <laughs> so he's a DJ, he's obviously, he's also a filmmaker. Uh, please welcome to the stage, Darian Mack. About three weeks after my mother's funeral, I gathered all the information and completely accepted 
the fact that I will never hear her voice again. I was too late. Uh, I, a lot of people have phones now, it's pretty regular, but I never once thought to sit her down and just say, hey, can you just talk to this camera just in case you pass so I could have it until I do. And I just never, I never got that. My family is a very photocentric and musically centered uh, group of people. Um, my grandmother, who was always at every single family function, uh, suggesting, almost demanding that we take photos together, um, has always instilled, you know, the idea of of cherishing these moments and having them for yourself uh, in case anything happens. Through the process of my mother going away, I've channeled all that energy that I would use to care for her and uh, directed it towards my grandmother since she's the only existing um, mother that I have left. Everyone else is, is gone. And so while she's still here, living in Spokane about 10 minutes that way, I'm still able to um, be a presence in her life and still you know, accept all of her stubbornness and all of her wisdom um, as something positive. So the only thing about that is that she is currently in the process of, of selling my childhood home that I lived in for 18 years and she's moving back to Louisiana because as I said before, I'm the only, I'm really the only one left up here. Everyone else is down south, people that I haven't even met and it's like she needs to be around a very large support system that's larger than me. So, so she's going back down and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And so to support her, I've been helping her, you know, take stuff, sell a bunch of records, uh, pick the heaviest couch that is also a futon slash hide a bed. It's the... <laughs> It was so awful. <laughs> it was so bad picking that thing up from downstairs, bringing it upstairs through the narrowest hallways, outside, through the back door, around the house, just so much extra stuff. And we're at a place now where most of the house is, is empty, and it's the first time I've ever seen the house that empty. And now, when I first was gonna tell a story, and I met with Eric about you know, deciding what type of story to share, I was gonna stick with a story about her. But in between our two meetings, you know, determining what type of story to tell, um, Martha, who is my grandmother's friend who was assisting, you know, take stuff out of the house and, you know, help her move or whatever, uh, she asked me, hey, you know, your grandmother needs help in a very specific way. I need you to go inside of her bedroom and reach deep into her closet that she can't walk into because it's lifted. So I need you to reach in there and grab stuff that's out the back, stuff that's been in there for 
decades, right? Just go back there and pull some stuff out so she could get it, organize it, and figure out what to do. I, of course, do it, and I pull some stuff out, and I find, I find some tapes, right? I find some tapes, and I'm like, okay, this is cool. Probably a kid video of me doing some weird dance or whatever. Let's just go ahead and watch it. And so I tell her that, hey, I'm going to take this footage back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check over it and see what's going on. Take it home, and I'm watching it, but I had to... I had to take the VHS-C tape, right? This isn't a VHS, a regular one. It's like a miniature one. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you definitely don't. <laughs> definitely have no idea what I'm talking about. So I take the VHS-C tape. I put it in a VHS adapter so I could put it inside of a regular VCR, right? The age range is beautiful in here. So. So I take that, put it into VCR, but I want to get this into a file, whatever's on it, right? I just want to put it into a file so I have all these cords and I could basically put anything into a HDMI. So I take the, the RCA, I put an adapter in it and twist it around and do a push-up and, and then I, I plug it into my, to my computer and I, I start recording on OBS, which is a, you, don't worry about it. So. I have OBS running, and I'm looking at these, these tapes, you know, I got a few, and I think back to other tapes that I found in the past, you know, a tape of me in theater back in elementary school where I'm like, I think I'm a, a king, an Egyptian king, and my, my mother was recording, and it was, it was a really short video, but I was like, okay, that's cool, it's probably another one of these, and I put the tape in, and it's like a barbecue. Right, it's just a bunch of black people at a park, probably Chief Gary or something, just having a good old time. You know, we're, we're dancing, there's like a, what's that called, Soul Train, where they got the people on the side, and you got kids in the middle doing like weird, weird dances. Adults like saying, hey, you know, get out there and show us what you got. Do that little dance you'd be doing, or whatever. And just adults just motivating children to just, just get out there and just do something. So. So I see like old people that I remember, like my cousin Temple, she's dancing terribly, and some other people get in there, and I look towards the back, and I see this little chubby, chubby kid, and he's, he's sitting in a chair, and he's, he's kind of just chilling, and I see this woman come out of nowhere and kind of like urge him to dance. She's like, okay, you know, we're here, you're with your family, we all love you, we're not gonna judge you too harshly. Um, get out there and do something, and he, he kind of gets up, he, And then he backs up and sits back down. <laughs> and after I got done being distracted by him, I, I look closer and I, I see this woman that I haven't seen in so long. And I'm, I'm you know, at this point, I'm, I'm not even thinking about, is this footage going to have her? Right? I completely accepted the fact that she was gone forever. I grieved. I got through it. And then I find this, this footage, and I'm like, <laughs> and then the tape cuts, right? It cuts, and I'm just in a room in my, in my apartment, just silent, freaking out. And I don't know how I did both of those at the same time, but I'm, <laughs> it's all internal. It's all, all this just rushing, and 
I got three cats and they're dead silent, which never happens. They, they sense the sense of urgency and just, I've never felt this way. And so I take the, I take the tape and I rewind it and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a black woman, maybe, maybe five, four. She has, she's bald at this time. She has gigantic gold hoops in her ears, gold rings on every finger, just like a white t-shirt black and greenish overalls that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for that throughout the rest of the tape and it's only two minutes so i'm looking at the tape again i'm, I'm going through it everything else means nothing i'm looking for that one thing i'm laser focused on any frame where she's in it and i'm looking for two things i need to see her face moving because i've never seen that in a decade right we have all these photos but it's like i need movement i need to see her moving so I, I need to see her face and i need to hear her voice which i thought were completely gone and so i'm looking at this footage and i see her i pause it and i can't see her face it's just this it's just and I, I swear it's like a movie. Every time that she would be in the frame, I'm over here trying to, trying to move around inside this little t television, trying to get an angle of her, but the reality doesn't work like that. So I'm trying to, trying to see her. And I, I got nothing. I, I can't hear her. It's a loud barbecue. There's kids yelling and a bunch of other stuff. So I'm just trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I do right now, right? The tape ended, it's just static. I'm looking through 20 minutes of static, just hoping. It's like, you never know. It, there could have been something maybe later on, so I keep watching just static, fast, forward, fast forwarding a little bit, just waiting for something, waiting for what I wanted, what I've waited so long to see. And there's nothing on that tape. But the thing is, is that I found another. There was the blank tape that I just showed you, that I just told you about. But there's also a tape that said July 4th, 1999. I know that there's no other tapes in existence. There's nothing else. It's this last tape that could have anything that I have been looking for. I put it in frantically, press play, and there's static. but I'm an idiot because I didn't rewind the damn thing, so. <laughs> so after about, I don't know, six seconds, I'm like, well, bullshit. No, I'm rewinding this. I rewind it, go to the top. It kept rewinding. It's such a long tape. I think it's like, what those maybe hold maybe 25 minutes. This thing was going for so long. It finally stops. I press play. And it has so many people in my childhood home, in the kitchen, laughing, dancing. There's kids, there's adults, there's people who I haven't seen in years, people who passed, Uncle Billy. I totally forgot about him, but I see him and he's dancing pretty, pretty well. <laughs> my Aunt Kareem. Uh, Chauncey's mom, Jackie's in the video. Like, there's so many, like that was a time when everybody, 
appeared to be so happy and the house was filled with so many people and now it's the house is bare and I'm looking and I immediately see my mom I see her face this was back when she was healthy and she was bigger which was fantastic she's dancing with my with my friend's mom and laughing I hear her voice again and it's like I almost didn't recognize it I was like well, that's my mom oh okay well I'll go with it <laughs> it'll work she's giggling and it's all there it's all what I what I finally found after so long it's like I never thought that it would come but it was there and I'm watching the tape and keep going and she reaches out the, out the door and she yells for someone and pulls this bald, big-eared kid out the door and it's me, old red shirt, and I'm just getting yanked, just... <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're, you're gonna dance with me right now. Like, that's what's gonna happen. And knowing myself at that age, I was the shyest person ever, still I am but I like vanish. I like vanish into the crowd and I'm like, I don't, I don't wanna be in front of people and do something to put myself in jeopardy or whatever. So I like vanish and I could hear her say, oh, oh, he doesn't wanna dance. If you, if you give him some money, oh, he'll dance. <laughs> oh, he'll dance all right. <laughs> I am not a stripper. Uh, not anymore, not anymore. So. So I'm still watching it, right? And I don't know if this video is going to be two minutes, four minutes, 20. I have no idea how long this is going to be, right? So every frame, every second was just so impactful for me, just watching my grandfather just sing so bad <laughs> and seeing him dance with my grandmother, who they're both alive, but they're divorced, but just seeing them at a time where they were just so happy. And they basically raised me and just seeing them just interacting in a way that I haven't seen in so long and it's just so good and now I have that as a file on my phone I can watch it at any point and it feels so good to just finally have that so I don't necessarily know how to end this but <laughs> All I know is that some of us are probably in a similar situation before finding footage, you know? But this was before we all had iPhones all the time. You know, I didn't get my iPhone until maybe 2013. I had an NV3. I'm not gonna take a video of my mother on that piece of junk. <laughs> and so now it's like, we have that option to just capture something, right? Capture it, keep it even though most of the stuff we capture is just crap and it's blurry and messy, but just hold on to one thing. Just have it for the future. Thank you. The final storyteller tonight and on the presentation on June 17th was Darian Mack. Earlier this evening, we heard from Kiantha Duncan. 
previous storytellers. On Monday, it was Katie Blackburn and Adam Schluter. On Tuesday, Josh Armstrong and Jennifer Mesa. The six storytellers from the June 17th production. Pivot Spokane does this usually three times a year. You can go to their website, Pivot Spokane, or find them on Facebook to find how you too could be a storyteller for Pivot. My thanks to Norman Robbins for video help on this one. And it's our pleasure to keep these online also at our website of kpbx.org. Not only these, but past Pivot Storytellers can be found there. Thanks for listening. I'm Vern Windham.